shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Every single spring, that first day that I walk outside and I see that yellow dust all over my truck, I'm like, that is Satan's dandruff. It destroys me. I legitimately can't go outside for longer than three minutes because my eyes get swollen, my eyes get puffy, my nose gets congested, and I just simply can't breathe. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. When I started taking Claritin D about two months ago, I can finally get back outside and play pickleball again, which is what I love to do, but I couldn't do it because my allergies were so bad. Claritin D has legitimately allowed me to go outside again, ready to live life as if you don't have allergies it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Well, 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 what is good, Human Hope Familia? Welcome back to episode six of Human Hope with your host, Carlos Enrique Wittget, Guzman Archibald Cabello, or Los for short. Episode six, we are officially first graders. We are officially starting our elementary school education as a podcast. And I just want to thank you guys so much. It's actually a little bit mind-blowing how many people are listening to this on a weekly basis. Every single week, it continues to grow and grow and grow. And what I'm finding is it's quite simple. You guys are telling your friends to listen. And then your friends listen and they tell their friends. And I, honestly, the, the other thing is, is that I just need to continue to convince my wife to be on this show more often. How incredible was last week's conversation. I'm telling you, this is my this is my life with Whit Farm. This is my life with my wife. She drops those nuggets of gold on a daily basis with me. And uh, and you guys just got a taste. So she will be back on the podcast. I promise, I promise, I promise. Um, and we're, this is kind of going to piggyback off last week. This week's episode, um, it's, it's going to piggyback. If you guys hopped on here last week, you know that we were coming off of, oh, actually what I love about the podcast is that it ended before that story was over. Well, last week's episode, we talked about the worst week of our lives. We talked about not, not the worst day of our lives. Remember, it was the worst week of our lives. And so, you know, in 30 seconds or less, we had our daughter got in a car accident. We had an intense conversation with one of our closest friends that left us exhausted. Our basement flooded uh, the next day. Our, then the next day, our dog, we had to take it to the ER. Then it was fine. Then we came home. And then the next morning, our chicken died in an owl attack. But then we had to rescue the owl that murdered the chicken. And then later that night, our beautiful dog, Pope, had to be put to sleep. And then the next morning, we flew 
to Denver, Colorado, but we got stopped in the middle of flying when we were on our layover in Atlanta because a man dropped his suitcase down an escalator, took my wife's feet out, and then she landed and she broke her wrist and we went to the ER and that's where we found you. That's where you found us. We had gotten out of the ER and I said, babe, you're on pain meds. We're still heading to Colorado. We weren't there yet. Um, let's talk. And so that's where we talked. And we told you our story and we told you how we can, you can um, find hope in community, how you can build a community around you that can be hope dealers to you. But the story wasn't over. Most of you, if you follow me on Instagram, you know the end of the story. But a lot of you guys, you may not. And before I get to the end of the story, I, I need you to know where we're going this week. Uh, this week's guest, again, is one of my favorite humans on planet Earth. It's me. I'm going to interview myself. Only because I am beta test lab rat when it comes to this exact topic. I'm going to be talking about when life swings at you, what you do to overcome the anxiety in your life. Specifically anxiety. Depression and anxiety are really close cousins. Um, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a clinical therapist or a psychologist. I'm just a dude that has spent 20 years of his life overcoming anxiety and finally did. And so when anxiety rears its ugly head, which it actually has this week, how do I handle it? Because I am healed of my massive anxiety. The healing has come. I am. I mean, I I struggled with anxiety and depression. I was on 15 milligrams of Paxil for 15 years of my life. Um, And I just kind of thought that that was just was where I was going to be until the day I died. And it it could have been, and it it may be for a lot of you, but my story is a little different. I started looking at a different path of healing and then I was healed, like completely and totally healed. I used to go from having panic attacks every single day and I hadn't had one in, I don't know, five years now. But that doesn't mean that I don't get episodes of anxiety. But when they rise, I put in some very strategic, specific rails that keep me from going off. From veering off course. And I'm going to give you guys those very specific things today, but I just needed you to know where we're going to be going, uh, what we're going to be talking about. But I, I don't think that it's fair to talk about the anxiety that I am currently going through uh, without you hearing the end of the story last week. So let's end last week. All right, so here's the deal. Heather and I record the podcast. Right as we were recording the podcast, some of my friends on social media had shared our Venmo account, which I was too proud to do myself. Man, I'm a grown man. I don't need your money, right? Like, I'm a, I was too proud. Well, by the time we started to record the podcast, about, <laughs> this is just in Venmo, okay? On Venmo, Venmo is where I pay my babysitter from. On Venmo, we suddenly had enough money to pay for half of Sohela's medical bills from her 21-day stay at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in 2019. Now, 2019, um, we were not in the same place uh, with insurance as we are now. And so bills were way higher. So just do the math yourself. And I don't know, go to Google and ask how much it costs to stay in the hospital for 21 days. Maybe you can figure out what our bill was, kind of. About half of that was actually covered in our balance in Venmo at that moment while we were recording that podcast. What in the freaking world? And then, and then my friend Sharon 
God bless her slash Sharon. Why'd you do that? Dang it. Continue to share our Venmo. And can I tell you what? You know, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you have Venmo on your phone and there's a, uh, and you get a um, notification, if you have notifications on, um, you actually, Venmo on your phone actually sounds like a, like a slot machine in Vegas. It goes, cha-ching. Maybe I can find a slot machine sound effect or Venmo sound effect. But that, that's what my phone was doing every second. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. We get on our flight to go to Denver. Sharon had actually shared with her platform. Again, I wasn't, I wasn't talking about this stuff on mine um, just because I'm too proud. I need to go to therapy. But she'd shared that about half of my medical bill was covered. And can I tell you something? By the time we landed in Denver, not only was all of Sohela's medical bills covered for our stay in Vanderbilt University Medical Center, but all of our basement, which got flooded, all of that was paid for. All of Heather's new fractured wrist, e ambulance ride, ER visit, all that was taken care of. All of our vehicles were taken care of. All of my student loans were taken care of. And by the time I landed in Denver, I need to let you know, let's talk about human hope, that strangers on the internet through $1 donations, $5 donations had completely wiped out every dime that I owed to another human being on planet earth. I've cried all my tears and one almost tried to come right now. I, I still can't comprehend the level of goodness that arrived when Sharon and her unreasonable governors decided to be unreasonable for me and my family. I mean, talk about peaks and valleys. The lowest moment of my life where I thought I was cursed. I was asking my pastor, am I cursed? To literally 12 hours later, landing in Denver, not owing another human being or company a dime. Now, let's, uh, let's, let's be real. Just because joy and healing happen does not mean that pain and trauma are not still currently existing. So I need you to know that just because, you know, because I do feel like a lot of people were looking at me like, Carlos, life's great now. Like, I mean, look, like resurrection. This also happened over Easter weekend, right? Like resurrection, everything's awesome. And guess what? I am so grateful and things are so much better um, for my family because of the kindness and the goodness and the empathy of strangers. But guess what? My wife's wrist, she's still crying because it hurts. Guess what? My heart, because I had to put my best friend, Pope, down. He's a dog, by the way. He wasn't my regular best friend, human best friend. My heart's still broken. I still weep. We're, we're, we're still shattered from the experience of our week. And so I just need you to know that, that joy and healing are not mutually exclusive from pain and trauma. They can coexist together. And what's happened is that in the midst of like all these highs, right? Like, you know, I kind of feel a little bit of pressure to act a little bit more put together than I actually am. I'm feeling a little bit of pressure, not, not pressure because people are like, you need to be happy. Pressure just as, just as a public figure, to be honest with you. And the truth is, you know, that's, that's something that I have never felt the need to do. And I'm not just, I'm just not going to do it now. Um, we're still broken. It still hurts. Life is still life. And so, you know, as, as you guys 
um, bless other people, okay? Just know that your blessing doesn't diminish their pain, but it will help them out of their pain at a faster rate. That, that's, that's where I think we need to get to. Um, you know, I, I, I look at myself and I think to myself all the time, like, man, I want to, I want to give a hand. I want to, I want to help out. There, there was this Venmo challenge that was going around on, on, oh, it was on Instagram and on TikTok where like people would raise money on their Venmo. Then they'd go to like a Waffle House and they'd like tip the Waffle House waitress like $2,000. And they put it on, on video and then they'd feel good, which I mean, all, all this feels great. Right. But can I tell you something that like, that's not the whole story that $2,000 isn't going to rescue that Waffle House worker out of the reality that they're living in warfare on a daily basis. Things can get better. Yes. And is it helpful? Yes. But it's not completely healing. And to be honest with you, that's not where we're, where we need to be completely putting all of our hope in even like the finances. I know a lot of rich people who are the most miserable people on the planet. Now, what happened to us didn't make us rich, but it made us rich in American terms, whereas I don't have to, I don't have debt anymore. So it didn't like add to like our, our income, but it did pay off our debt. And it, it did so much to help us, but we need to be careful not to try to place our hope in those kind of blessings. Now, the hope can be placed in that it could happen again and that humans are capable of it. Um, maybe I'm going somewhere I don't want to go, but that's just a little aside for everybody. Um, because when you go through trauma and people come uh, to support you, that support is going to be very helpful in carrying you through. But don't feel bad if you don't feel completely hopeful in the moment. Because trauma is trauma and it's real and it hurts and pain is pain. And so that's where kind of I want to get to is here I, here I sit. We are, uh, where are we? It's Wednesday. Oh, it's been a week. A week ago today, I recorded that podcast. And yeah, Monday, I, I, I stood up. I was here in my house and I stood up and I just got super lightheaded and my heart started beating pretty fast. And I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I know what this is. No, thank you. Uh-uh, I don't think so. And I felt anxiety begin to come out, begin to express itself. Because the thing is, is our body does, there's a book called Our Body Keeps Score. And it does. Our body keeps score. So just because you've been given hope doesn't mean your body is not going to respond. Doesn't mean serotonin levels haven't been jacked. Doesn't mean anxiety won't rise. And so anxiety began to rise in me. And what did I have to do? Like I had to automatically begin to put into practice some of the tools that I've been using over the years to get me through seasons of anxiety. Now, Let's, let's start off with what I think is, um, is very, very important if you're somebody that struggles with anxiety. And you may or may not agree with me. Listen, you're, you're not, I'm not here to get you to agree with me. I'm just trying to, trying to help you with what's helped me. I have completely changed my language when it comes to anxiety and depression and whatever mental health issue I'm dealing with. I used to say things like, I have anxiety. Okay. So I, maybe if I recorded this podcast five years ago, I would have been like, um, you know, so now I've got tools that help me when I have anxiety, but I need you to realize what I actually said. You can rewind the podcast or I'll just tell you again right now. I did not actually say that I have anxiety. I didn't say that right now. I said anxiety is rising up in me, but I didn't claim it. So like I need, 
I need you to know the it may not seem like a big deal, but our language is so important. Secular psychologists, faith-based psychologists, all of them, ones that believe in God and those that don't believe in God, they've all come to the same conclusion that our words carry such weight, even when we speak them about ourselves. So I no longer say that I have anxiety. Why is that? Well, guess what? When I say that, I claim it as my own. Sometimes we become friends with our anxiety, our depression, all these things. It's not our friend. It's not a relationship that we get to like foster and take care of. No, it's something that will end and can end. And so we've got to be believing that it can and will end. So if that's the case, guess what? We no longer say I have anxiety. Guess what I say? I say I'm going through a season of anxiety. See, why do I say I'm going through a season of anxiety? Well, because that means there's a beginning and that means there's an end. Seasons come, seasons go, so will this anxiety. All right, so let, let's just hop in. I'm, I'm just, we're just gonna kind of go down a list. What I wanna do is I wanna give you what I like to call the truth, which are facts versus myths when it comes to anxiety and depression. We're specifically talking about anxiety today. But again, remember, they're cousins. They could feel the same, okay? I wanna give you the, kind of the truth, okay? Facts versus myths. Then I'm gonna give you some very specific tools Okay, relational tools, physical tools, and spiritual tools. And then I'm going to kind of give you what I like to call the test, right? So like what happens like once we're putting these uh, practices in our lives into being, and then all of a sudden anxiety rises like it's rising in my life, like it rose in my life. And how did I go? What? Not today. Uh Uh-uh, it ain't going to happen. The test every single day when it's bad and when it's good. Let's hop into what I like to call the truth where we are going to dispel some of these myths some of these common myths, and we're going to dispel them with some facts, some data that will let you feel way less alone. Here we go. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so this is what I need you guys to know. Every single person listening to this, you can beat this. You can live a happy and joy-filled life, okay? And you actually will jump for joy. When's the last time that you actually jumped for joy? Like you leapt, like your feet left the earth. We talked about this uh, with Danica a few weeks back. When's the last time that actually happened? I can promise you this, that will happen again. Yes, that is how positive I am, how hope-filled I am that you can feel that again. Okay, so let's talk about the three camps that I think are listening to this podcast right now. The first camp is you, uh, this is your first rodeo. Like you are like, what in the world? The, the amount of DMs I get from people that are struggling from anxiety for the very first time is definitely on the rise. 2020 did not help. 2021 is not helping either. And I'm seeing a lot of people struggling with this for the very first time. So that it's your first rodeo. That's the first camp. The second camp is well, you've been here before. This isn't your first rodeo. You uh, have gotten, you've had anxiety. You've gotten better. You've gotten out. Uh, you've gone through the season, but maybe now you're back. Uh, and maybe you, you've seen that you've, it's been longer in between episodes, right? So you are desiring to see the sunrise sooner than you saw it rise the last time. And then the third camp would be those of you who 
you, you haven't struggled with anxiety like this before. And you may be wondering like, what in the world? Like, I don't understand. All my friends are talking about anxiety. Like, what does it feel like? What is it? I'm so glad that you're listening to this as well. So this podcast is going to be for everybody because I think that not only will it give you tools if you're in it, tools that you've been in it, but you're not in it right now. And also tools if you've never been in it and maybe you never will be in it. Okay. Because all of these tools will be essential, especially when you live in community. You're not just a silo. You're in community. You can help somebody else out too. You will jump for joy again. I promise you. So let's, let's hop into some facts and some myths. Okay. The first myth is this. You are alone. That is the myth that will destroy anybody before they get to any other myth when it comes to their mental health, that you're alone. But let's just smash that right away. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, one in four Americans will have a diagnosable mental illness in their lifetime. One in four. Look at your friends, count to four, and one of y'all going to have a mental illness diagnosed in your lifetime. That's, that's just the data. That's just the scientific data that is going to tell you how many people are struggling with anxiety and depression or some sort of mental health issue in their lifetime. One, one sort of diagnosable mental illness in their lifetime. Now, does it have to be the case? Does that, is that like what we desire? No, but I need you guys to know that. Okay. So if you're in a room with 50 people, look around and know that one in five of you are feeling the burden of this crisis. You're not alone. You're not. Okay. So that, that's the first myth we need to get out the way. Okay. You're not alone. Second myth is this. Mental health problems are caused by the people suffering from them. Like somehow the ones dealing with the mental health issues, they have done something wrong. You have done something wrong. Okay, if you're somebody struggling with a mental health issue, the myth is that you did it to yourself, right? Like you caused this. Maybe you worried too much. Maybe you drank too much. Maybe you, that's the myth. Let me tell you the truth. Now, the truth is, while of course we need to take responsibility for our own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors associated with whatever disorder it is that we're dealing with, we are not to blame for them. There's an important difference between taking responsibility and accepting blame. It's huge. So what do I want us to do? I want us to take responsibility, but I don't want us to feel blame and shame. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people confuse the two things, taking responsibility and accepting blame. They're different. Here's a myth. If you don't struggle with anxiety and depression or any other mental illness, then you can't do anything for a person that does. That's actually not true. You can do a lot starting with how you speak about them, right? We've talked about how important language is. You can actually create an environment that builds on people's strengths and promote understanding. Okay, so don't label people that are going through seasons of anxiety and depression. Don't label them as, oh, they have anxiety. We talked about this already. They have depression. They are a human first. Remember, use the word seasons. So if you don't struggle with this stuff, begin to change your language as well. Treat people that are struggling with these things with respect and dignity, just like you would anybody else. You can do a lot, a lot. So the myth is you, if you don't suffer, you can't do nothing. The fact is you actually can do tons. Here's another myth. 
uh, mental illness, anxiety, and depression are brought on by a weakness of character. Now, it's this is something that is so easy for us to fall victim to. This is a way of thinking that, unfortunately, um, bullies have heightened in our culture. You know, mental illnesses are actually a product of the interaction of a couple things, right? Biological issues. Okay, so I mean, we're we're talking strictly biology, strictly like serotonin levels, strictly like you know different wavelengths in our brains, psychological issues. Okay, so now we're talking about the mind itself and how it thinks. This is all mixed in with social factors. So you got a mix of biological issues, psychological issues, and social factors. So we've got social influences, which could be like the loss of a loved one or a job, which could contribute to the development of something horrible in our minds. So trauma. So I look at the last week and a half of my life and I think this has been traumatic. No wonder I am lightheaded. No wonder I'm my heart is palpitating. No wonder I'm starting to face against some worry and some fear of the sky is falling. No wonder. So the truth is, it's, it's no weakness of character that's bringing this on. The truth is, it's literally the interaction of like my social biological and psychological factor. Like I have had little to zero sleep plus my life was falling apart. (laughs) And so that's actually not called anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder. That's called life sucks. That that's what it is. I don't get me preaching. So there's, there's another myth. Mental illnesses are brought on by a weakness of character. And let's get to the last myth. Um, And this, this myth drives me freaking crazy. And it's this one, anxiety and depression aren't real illnesses. Okay, so the words that we use to describe mental illnesses, it's they've honestly changed a lot over time. But what hasn't changed is the fact that anxiety and depression are not the regular ups and downs of life. Okay, so like we can have, somebody can like have anxious moments. If, if you're super stressed at work and you've got a big deadline coming and you're feeling anxious about it, that actually is not anxiety. That's not like a, the illness of anxiety. That's, that's, that's an up and a down of life. Mental illnesses actually create distress and they don't go away on their own. They're actual health problems with effective treatments, spiritual treatments and natural treatments. Okay. So medical treatments and physical and spiritual treatments. When, when somebody breaks their arm, like we're honestly not going to expect them to just like get over it, right? Like just get over it. Nor would we blame them if they needed a cast, a sling, or other help in their daily life when they recovered. So why in the world, when somebody struggles with something traumatic that sparks on this anxiety or depression, why in the world would we expect them to just get over it? We, sh- we shouldn't. We need to give them the splint. We need to give them the sling. We need to give them whatever help they need as they recover The myth is that mental illnesses aren't real illnesses. The fact is they are. Now, does that mean we need to place all of our identity in whatever that illness is? Depression, anxiety, it could be schizophrenia, it could be anything. No, that shouldn't be your definition, your defining moment in life where this is who I am. I'm going to plant my anxiety flag in the ground. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is these are real, real illnesses. That's the myth that they're not. The fact is that they are. All right, so let's let's move in to some tools. Okay, we'll call them the tools. We, we've, we've talked about um, already the truth. 
T. Let's go to another T, the tools. You can tell I'm a child in the 90s because I like everything to start with the same letter. What are some tools? Now, the first one is meditation or prayer, even breathing exercises. Um, it's, it's been shown that even a little training in meditation or breathing or prayer can make people calmer, less stressed, and more relaxed in as little as 20 minutes a day. And these 20 minutes a day of prayer and meditation, uh, some of you guys are thinking, you want me to pray for 20 minutes? Absolutely. It's studies show that as little as 20 minutes a day literally leads to physical changes. Like your blood pressure lowers, your heart rate lowers, your breathing slows down. Improvements in your blood pressure, of course, will result in lack of heart attacks, lack of all these things. And I'm telling you, if there's one thing that I never knew was going to be a ticket to me finding freedom, it was prayer. It was meditation. It was slowing down. I like to say it this way, lower the volume of life, slow down. We were not in any way, shape, or form designed to move at the speed and the capacity that we're moving in. We weren't. Studies show that the first 15 minutes we wake up, we're consuming more content than our great-grandparents consumed in 30 days. 15 minutes versus 30 days. Now, somebody tell me why we're having a, a pandemic of anxiety and depression in our country. I honestly believe it has nothing to do with quarantining or nothing to do with it. And it has everything to do with the content we are consuming. We weren't created to consume what we're consuming. I mean, just look at how we live for the majority of human history. And it's only been the last 200 years that things have gone so fast. An average human being walks three miles an hour. Three miles an hour. If I were to try to sell you something that went three miles an hour, you'd look at me like I was crazy. Well, why? Well, because like, why in the world would we want something that moves so slow? We need things to go fast. We need to hustle. We need to grind. We need to go. We need to go. No. You need to slow down. You need to pause. You need to breathe. When we begin to slow down and lower the volume of life, the volume of healing, of anxiety, depression, whatever other mental illnesses we are struggling with begins to rise. The healing of them. I mean, what are some things we can do? Honestly, leave your phone at home when you go to the grocery store. Put your phones away. Actually, well, how about this? Like, don't listen to a podcast. Don't listen to me while you're in the car. Spend like one, like on the way to work, just don't listen to a thing. And, and, and I know, <laughs> I know how stressful this is going to be for so many people. It is going to stress you out. Why? Because we don't know how to do that. We get to a red light. We look at our phone and it's like, okay, I want to pick my phone up because I want to see if somebody emailed me or somebody double tapped and liked my Instagram comment or somebody replied to this. We don't know how to slow down. But the truth is we weren't created to consume this stuff again. How is it that, that even, let's just go three generations ago, my grandparents, the only way they could place any sort of story stress on their shoulders was by getting a letter, reading a newspaper, or getting a phone call. That's how they consume content. That's how they, they got more story stress on their shoulders, on their heart. But us, we use our phones as alarm clocks, right? I mean, that, that's like what we, what we do. So in the morning, like when I was growing up in the 90s, when I woke up in the morning, my alarm clock literally did one thing. It woke me up. I couldn't pick up my alarm clock, which was plugged into my wall, swipe across the face of it, and it start talking to me. That's, that's what we do now. So how about this? 
Uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. We need to slow down. We need to consume a lot less content. And I believe when you do that, you are going to start seeing healing happen in your anxious heart. You're going to start seeing the anxiety begin to decrease because I do think it has a lot to do with how much you're putting in, how much you're putting into your heart when it wasn't ever created for that much. Yes, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, we are, I believe, continuing to develop and evolve. And although our physical characteristics may evolve, I don't believe our souls do. I believe our souls are the same as they were in the beginning. And they were created for what I like to call God speed, three miles an hour. What in your life this week can you slow down to three miles an hour? Find out. All right. So, you know, that, I mean, that, that's, that's a huge one, a huge tool. Slowing down, prayer, meditation. Um, other ones are, you know, food. I mean, let's be honest. Like a well-nourished brain is going to be way more resilient. Um, we, we live in the most stressful times as human beings. There's a lot of demands for our attention. We're exposed to way more trauma. And <laughs> I believe what you put in is what you're going to get out. So, I mean, like, like, what do you do? I would say, just. I mean, for me, I lost about 45 pounds when I was trying to get better with my anxiety and depression, and it helped tremendously. Now, I'm, does, am I saying everybody needs to lose weight? No, but what I am saying is what you put into your body definitely um, reacts in your brain. Less sugar, less caffeine, less alcohol. Yes, all those fun things. I, I promise, again, more scientific studies show, you cut that stuff out, you're going to cut your anxiety in half. The question is, is it worth it? <laughs> is it worth it to you guys? Exercise, okay? Exercise affects your mood. It, it affects, you know, your serotonin levels. Uh, it affects how you feel about yourself. Do that. It's another tool. Make sure you're exercising every single day. You know, if you got an Apple Watch, try to close them rings, right? How about something else? Chemicals, drugs. Drugs are okay. But let me tell you guys about drugs. I need to be clear here. I took 15 milligrams of Paxil for 20 years of my life, 15 years of my life. I can't even remember how much it was, but it was a lot of years. And actually like, like the Paxil became like almost like my Wobby blanket. Do you guys know what a Wobby blanket is? Like the, the thing that you carried around when you were a kid? Because it's like, well, I can't miss my Paxil because it's gonna, I took that, that junk for a long time. And I got to the point where I just, I just thought I'd never not take it again. Well, can I tell you, I am now five years completely removed from my medicine. I haven't taken any medicine for anxiety and depression after more than a decade of taking it. What should that tell you? That it is possible for you to get off of it. Now, some of you guys may be thinking, well, why would I want to get off of it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm here to tell you that medicine is very helpful, but it's not hopeful. Okay? Don't place your hope in medicine. Your hope cannot be in doctors and medicines and psychologists and all those things. Like those things are helpful, but they're not hopeful. What is hopeful? Hopeful is the thing that will never fail you. Medicine will. Doctors will. So what you have to do is find out what will never fail you. When you find that out, that's where you place your hope. So I guess all I'm saying is Take medicine. It's very helpful, but don't make the medicine become your hope. It's for a season. Think about it that way. Think about it that way. And now some seasons may be longer than others. Some people may take it for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Some people, though, are taking it for 20 years that needed to take it for 20 days because it became our hope. 
Don't let the medicine become the thing that you're hoping in. Let it be the thing that you're helping with, that's helping you. Medicine is helpful. It's not hopeful. If you've placed your hope in it, I'm asking you to reconsider how much hope you're placing in medicine. And I get it. I understand when you've been in the thick of the worst of worst anxiety and depression of despair and that medicine comes through for you and you finally can live and breathe and work again. Yes. Oh, it feels so good. Still, it's not your hope. It can't be your hope. Drugs are okay. They're helpful, but they're not hopeful. And then the last tool I want to talk about for a second are relationships. What I want you to do is to take a, uh, take a diagnosis of all the relationships in your life. Which relationships suck you of your life and which relationships give you life? This is a really easy one. The relationships that suck you of life, get rid of them. Poof. See, you wouldn't want to be you. Peace out. A-town down. Get out. The relationships that build you, Hang on to those, lean into those, pour into those, let them pour back into you. Uh, and if, if you've got 15 relationship suckers that have been relationships of yours for your entire life and you only got two relationship builders that have only been relationships of yours for two years, I promise you, you cut off those relationship suckers that have been around for a long time. You just lean into those two that have been relationships for a few years or a few months even you're going to find such an acceleration of healing. The people around you matter. They matter tremendously. Find them, get rid of the ones you need to get rid of, and build the ones you need to build. So there's, there's our tools, right? We, we, got, we got our first tool, prayer, meditation, lowering the volume of life, decreasing the content you consume, and then exercise, right? Food, those are some other like tools that you can use. Chemicals, drugs are some great tools that you can use relationships you can use. Also, counseling, therapists. I'm a huge believer in therapists. And again, I'll say therapists are helpful. They're not hopeful. I love my therapist. I send all three of my kids to therapy. They go to therapy counseling programs here in Nashville. They've been there for 10 years. I got an 18-year-old, 16-year-old, and 14-year-old, 17-year-old, and 14-year-old. They've been in therapy for 10 years, all of them, all of them. Why? Because guess what? They're not broken, but the world is. And why am I in therapy? Guess what? I'm not broken, but the world is. So if I'm going to be walking through a broken world, guess what? I need somebody to talk to. It's okay to pay for a friend. And that friend's going to be your therapist. And when you pay them, there's a, there's a level of accountability that you're going to have with them that you never thought about having with a friend. And I am here to tell you to find a therapist and pay them to talk to. Oh, friends, find them. I actually have, I'm, I'm going to share with you guys in the next uh, few weeks, a sponsor, a show sponsor that is going to help you guys that I can't wait to share with you guys. It's going to be incredible. I'll let you guys in on that secret soon. Um, but just know how important I believe therapy is. Those are the tools. All right, let's get to what I like to call the test. Every day, this stuff's going to show up. What, what do you do? Okay, let's talk about daily rituals. Okay, this is the test. This is what, what happens every single day, okay? Every day, this is what you're doing. Now, why are rituals important? Because I believe that it builds a pattern in your brain that knows what to expect. So no matter what anxious thoughts come running in, you know, you know when I wake up, this is what I'm gonna do. And so it builds, it just builds this pathway of safety. And so let, let me just tell you mine, my ritual. Every morning I wake up 
I do praise and thanksgiving. Now, I know there's various faith backgrounds that show up around here. You you do what you need to do. You call it what you want to do. For me, it's praise and thanksgiving. And this is what why I believe it's so important. Every single day, I wire my brain to praise God for who he is and thank God for what he's done. Again, translate that to whatever it is you do, however it is you live. But for me, there is something about just praising, being so joyful and praising. Um, it's just literally, it's so healing. It's balm to my soul. So I'll put on my one of my favorite songs and I'll just praise. I'll just praise. I just go at it for like five minutes. And then I, I'm thankful. I thank God for my health. I thank God for the provision that happens in my life. I thank God for my family's health. I thank God for the jobs that I got secured. I thank God. I just thank, I thank, I thank, I thank, I thank. Praise and thanksgiving go a long, long way in my ritual. It's what I do. Every single day, I praise God for who he is and I thank God for what he's done. Again, apply that to whatever it is you do and I promise you, it's going to begin to shift things. So like, what about when it gets bad? Like, what do you do? Like, oh crap, here it comes. I'm feeling it. This is what happened this week. I'm feeling it. What do I do? I felt it coming. Guess what? I get up. I, I don't lay in bed and wait to feel the anxiety. That, that's something I used to do all the time. It's like, I'd open my eyes and I'm like, okay, do I feel it? Am I dizzy? Am I heart palpitating? Am I, what am I doing? No. The second I open my eyes, I swing my legs out of bed. I put them on the floor and I get after it. Get up. Put one foot in front of the other, no matter how you feel. It's number one. Number two, if it if when it hits the fan, I tell someone so that they know it's coming. I go straight to my wife. It doesn't have to be your wife or your husband. It could be a friend. It could be a coworker. Let them know. I tell them, hey, listen, I'm feeling it start to rise. And I, I just need you to know that it's coming. And just knowing that somebody else knows is huge. I used to tell people that feeling like when I was struggling with anxiety, it would feel like I had a spacesuit on and I was around people that were trying to talk to me and trying to hug me, but I couldn't hear them and I couldn't feel them. That's what it was. So telling somebody that it's coming makes me feel less alone. And then also, this is something huge. When you start feeling it, do not imagine the worst. Because more than likely, it's just going to be a small dose and we know what our imaginations can do. Pull it back. Don't imagine the worst. Actually imagine the best. So when it's coming, you're like, okay, don't imagine the worst. Get up, put one foot in front of the other, tell somebody, just go at it. But what happens like in panic mode, right? Like super, let's just, let's just call it, you know, you've got a panic attack. Like, what do you do? First thing I do is I'll remember it. It's going to leave. Remember, it always leaves. Nobody on planet earth has been in a 10-year panic attack. It's going to go. It comes and it goes. So remember, it's going to leave. Number two, focus on breathing. Breathe. On your Apple Watch, there is a breathe app. On your smartphones, there's breathe apps that when panic arises, breathe. You are in charge. And here's another thing that I do. Oh, I don't do it anymore because I don't really, I don't have panic attacks anymore. But when I did, not when I was starting to heal from them, I would talk to them like a person. I would say, oh, hey, panic. Guess what? I, I'm, I feel you coming. I'm going to let you in. I would invite my panic in and then I would invite it through. Remember, you're, you don't have anxiety. You're going through a season of anxiety. So your panic attack doesn't own you. It is coming through you, which means it's coming in 
and out. Talk to it, invite it in, and then invite it through, and then say, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Get out. And then remind yourself that you're in control by showing yourself that you're in control. So I would do things like when I was in the middle of a panic attack, I'd look at my hand and I was like, hand open. <laughs> this sounds crazy, but I'd open it. I'd say, hand close, close. I'd say, Carlos, open your eyes. Carlos, close your eyes. And I would do these things, which showed me that I was in control of my body. And when it comes to panic attacks, a lot of times we do not feel in control of our bodies, of our heartbeats, of our breathing. So find the things that you can control and show yourself that you're in control. So that's what you do when you hit panic mode. Remember, it's going to leave. Focus on breathing. Talk to it. Invite it in and through, and then remind yourself that you are in control. Now, here's the thing. You're not going to be living and existing in anxiety the rest of your life. You're not. I'm just telling you, you're not. I, I, I haven't. I thought I would, and I'm not. So what do you do when it's good? Well, you share your stories. Share it, share it, share it. Help others. What that does is it helps yourself. And honestly, get healthier. When you're in a great season, get healthier. If you can run, run. Because guess what? When, when, you're, when your back's broke and you're like 89 years old and you can't run, you're going to wish you could run. So do it now. Get healthier. Enjoy life now. Don't wait. I'm telling people all the time, don't wait till you're retired to go on a trip. Because what, uh, nobody's promised retirement. Do it now. Enjoy your life now. Go hard now. Life is waiting for you. You can live your life or you can let your life live you. And I'll trust me, you would rather live your life instead of your life living you. You can do it, guys. You can absolutely do it. Um, you know, I, um, I shared a little bit earlier just about the fact that I, you know, am going through a season right now. And this season, actually, as of the moment of recording this, it's almost over. It's only lasted like, I don't know, 36 hours. That's my season of anxiety. Whereas before, if I would have felt this, I, I would have let it last for weeks. But no, I'm, I talk to it. I invite it in and then I invite it out. Just because you're going through anxiety doesn't mean you have it. Change your language. You know, we're going to get into an ep another episode where we really talk about the uh, agreements that we've made with lies. And those, those agreements sometimes are the uh, contributing factors to our mental health issues. We're not going to get into that today. But just know there's, there's what I'm giving you right now are the basics of how I have overcome and surpassed uh, the strength that my anxiety was trying to beat me down with. And I'm free. I'm 100% free now. And I, I know that you guys can be free as well. Listen, I know that not everybody that's listening to this is struggling with this. But if you do know somebody, just give them this podcast, you know, share it. Um, hopefully I'll give them, even if you leave with one thing that you can change, just changing the language of how you're not going to um, any longer say that you have anxiety, but you're going through a season of anxiety. Like those kind of things can be game changers for a lot of people. It gives them their identity back, not in a mental health issue or illness, but in who they were created to be. And so I just, uh, I'm grateful that you let me share a couple of these things with you guys. Um, this has been um, the, the hardest week of my life. Seven days in a row, the hardest one. 
but because of you guys, um, I've, I've found some healing. Uh, just because I got that healing, though, doesn't mean that the trauma isn't real. So um, be kind to each other. Understand that that's true for other people as well. Um, hopefully, some of these tools will help you guys get through this a lot faster. I am grateful beyond words that you guys let me spend 45 minutes or an hour with you guys tickling those ears and um, hopefully infusing some hope back into your life. Something that would infuse some hope into my life is to subscribe or rate both. Subscribe and rate the show. Please, it really, really, really helps the show. If you're listening to this right now uh, and you're thinking, oh man, it ain't gonna matter if I leave a review on the show. Actually, it does. So if you guys wouldn't mind, subscribe, rate, leave a review, share the episode, let your friends know that every single Thursday I am here with you guys to give you guys just a little bit of human hope. Next week, we've got a guest that I promise many of you are going to lose your minds when you find out who this guest is going to be. So make sure you're subscribed, you stay tuned, and Remember this. I heard this from a friend of mine last week. Sometimes when your life feels like it's falling apart, actually, you may not know it, but it may be falling into place. This is Carlos Whitaker saying, I'll see you next week here on Human Hope.